Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I am Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern for Discipleship. In today's episode, we discuss Chapter 2, Section 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, dealing with the doctrine of the Trinity. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can email us at 1A, that's the number 1, the letter A, at firstpreskolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I am your host, Josh Squires. And joining me for this episode is only one other Josh rather than the two Joshes that we normally have. We have our Josh to Mark ratio a little bit messed up today. We do. We do. about this. Yeah, it's it's a little uncomfortable for, <laughs> I think, right. all three of us. I'm feeling yeah. a little more powerful today. I mean, uh, usually, I'm feeling hey, really hey. outnumbered. Settle down. There. Yeah. Settle, Settle down, down Mark. <laughs> Josh Adair, unfortunately, is under the weather as we record this, so our prayers are going out to Adair and to his family. I'm sure he'll be able to recover and join us next time. But until then, I've got Josh Fleming again. Glad to be here. Thanks so much uh, for having me again. Thanks for being on our pastoral intern to discipleship. discipleship. I almost said college again. It's discipleship. We're get it right at some point. Some, we'll all get it. Yeah, that's it out. right. Yes, sir. And then Mark Capper, of course, uh, the intern to biblical counseling. Mark, thanks for being on here as well. Absolutely, it's such a thrill again to uh, to join you guys and to discuss the Westminster Confession of Faith. So, mm. speaking of. Josh yeah. Fleming, you've been kind of driving the ship as to what we're talking about and where we're going. So why don't you just sure sure thing? Um, just to remind you guys and remind our listeners, we last time we got together, we spoke about the aseity of God, God's mm-hmm. self sufficient nature. We were in uh, chapter two point two. Now we're moving on, and we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm. Chapter two of the Confession point three. Mm. It's a great statement on how God has revealed Himself. I, I, I'd like to just read it here for us and uh, for you guys, for our listeners, and and get the uh, discussion going. It says, In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Mm. So fairly short, mm-hmm. <laughs> simple statement to mm-hmm. to try and encapsulate this, this doctrine of the Trinity. I think it's I think it will be helpful though for us to talk through this today and really consider what what it means for us and in, in, in how we think about our, our Christian lives, our Christian walks and and how we counsel uh, one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, one quote to consider, I just want to throw this out there and, and get the discussion going. I've, I quoted this theologian last week as well, so people may, our audience may get tired of hearing from Herman Bovink, but he has a quote, and I found it recently, and it, it really struck me. Okay. It says that the Christian mind remains unsatisfied mm. until all of existence is referred back to the triune God. And until the confession of God's Trinity functions as the center of our thought and life. Mm. And when I read that, I mean, I was really like, I was like, oh man, 
Yeah. <laughs> I look at my own life, my own thought life, my own just how I work and operate in, in the world. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm yeah. doing this right. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, I just want to throw this out to you guys. I mean, do you think he's he's onto something here? And and then also, would you just say, would, as a the, the church today, as, as Christians, do we undervalue this, this doctrine of the Trinity? I'm just, let's get the conversation rolling. Yeah, actually, a, a couple things here. Love that quote from Bavink. On the one hand, I would say yes, in that Bavink is correct in the necessity of being able to see the Trinity at the center of life, as he is the center of all things. He's the creator of all things, and therefore there are adumbrations of himself and of his existence in all things. And yet that there's also a little bit of a caveat. Uh, some of our listeners will remember our former pastor of discipleship and teaching, Gabe Fleur, who is now senior minister, first pres in Chattanooga, mm. brilliant mind, apologist extraordinaire. Mm. And I was talking to him about the Trinity as it related to my dissertation. And he had this quote, which was super impactful for me. He said, Josh, you have to remember that the Trinity isn't a paradigm it's a reality. Mm. That sounds like Gabe Fleur. It does sound like <laughs> Gabe Fleur. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's super helpful yeah. for us not to try and use the Trinity always paradigmatically. We're always right. trying to find ways in which Trinity exists and always trying to um, take any sort of revelation, be it general, special, be it common grace, and and try and somehow pigeonhole it Fit everything in this yeah room. and and there are people who want to do some of that and i understand the impulse or the instinct there but again one of those correctives that that gabe was so helpful was like that's not how christ tended to minister to his disciples right and to the crowds mm-hmm. we we do see that the trinity it is active in christ's life uh, we see it definitely when he goes out and talks about making disciples and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see it in his high priestly prayer as he mm-hmm. talks about the Holy Spirit coming and him praying to the Father and then his being there with his disciples. And yet so often as he gives parables and as he talks about the Christian life, that doesn't seem to be the thing he's always driving us home to. Right, right. Is the reality of the Trinity. And so I just want to be careful... And, and the reason that is, is that we can then try to become over-familiar with the Trinity. Mm. We, we can get used to the Trinity in a way that it should assault our senses. And, and that's, that may be strong language, but it is unlike anything in all creation. Right. Any way that we would describe the Trinity, any way in which we would try to illustrate the Trinity is always heresy to yeah. some extent. You always get into trouble. Always. To, yeah. And, and it, not that we can't talk about it, not that we can't illustrate it, but you, you've almost got to close as many doors right. as what you're opening when you begin to talk about the Trinity. And so even as we began to talk about this off air, you know, one of the first things I said was men rush in where angels fear to tread. And that's what I often think about the Trinity. Mm. The, the beauty of this statement is, is that it's so simple and so small. Right. Short statement here. Exactly. Yeah. It only affirms exactly what Scripture can affirm. And we got to be careful not to worship the idol of our own curiosity. Mm. Yeah. Where we try to make it manageable to the finite mind, this infinite truth. Right. Right. So to a certain extent, from a counseling perspective, the Trinity is a pride check. 
Mm. Wow. I, I can't know this completely. That's right. Right? You'll never wrap your mind. Completely. Never. Not even in glory. Right. Not even when our minds are unfallen will we completely understand the Trinity. That would be to make us God and we're not God. Exactly. Right? So that's, that's my only caveat. I think it's a great quote, and I do think that Trinitarian thought is underrepresented. Derek often talks about Christian monism, where we're only focused on Christ in everything that we do, mm. and the Father and Holy Spirit are often lost. So, so I think that there is an underrepresentative uh, underrepresentation of the Trinity, but I want to be careful that we don't try to make the Trinity common, right? Because mm-hmm. because it is anything but common. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it, you know, if I can speak to this, I think that what we want to arrive at is where we are recognizing the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That I think, while on one hand, our our Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters, I think we would say, go too far mm-hmm. uh, and express an over-fascination in the person of the Holy Spirit and his work at the same time that, that we do see the explanations of the work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and... And even theological development of of what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers in in the the text of Scripture as well, yeah. and so so I think definitely when we're talking about the Trinity as a as a whole, we need to be careful. But but because the the Scriptures speak so richly of the the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit, that that certainly I think will have a, a a role to play, especially related to the the content of this podcast, related to situations in the counseling room that were uh, sitting with people in their in their real life uh, situations and and ministering to them in their moments of need. Right. And we should probably, as we go through the confession, maybe make mention as we see this. But there's so many places where we see the Spirit's role brought to the forefront throughout the confession. So yeah, they don't, they didn't. These guys didn't include their own chapter on the confession. He's just this Holy Spirit's mentioned here in the Trinity. But we've already, you know, we talked about in our first couple episodes the doctrine of Scripture, and he was there, mm. and now he's here. And as we go through, we're going to see throughout the sort of soteriology and, and how how people are saved. We're going to see his work. And it's really actually, if you take everything that they've said on the Spirit and weave it together, it's a really beautiful statement on, mm-hmm. on his work and mm-hmm. what he does for the life of the believer. So mm-hmm. that's a good point, Mark. Thanks. Okay, so let's get back to the Trinity sure. yeah. as a concept. How does the Trinity as a concept help in the counseling room beyond trying to get us to have some intellectual humility? Yeah, but besides just reminding us of our fin- yeah. finitude. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that just jumps up there for you is the fact that God could have chosen to reveal himself at his most essential in many ways. Right. He could have chosen to reveal himself in primarily economic ways. Mm. He, he could have been master. He could have been king. He could have been CEO, right? <laughs> he could have been a number of things. And yet the way he revealed himself was his father. And the second person as son, yeah, right, and and third person as the sent spirit that will indwell in you, be active in you, in relationship with you. What sits at the center of of that revelation is relationality. Yeah. So so we are meant to have relationship 
with God and one another in a way that does reflect the sort of relationship that exists even inside the Godhead. Mm. The other thing it does is that, and I don't know if we talked about this already, but the Christian God is the only God that is uh, a, a single entity and yet has always known and will always know love. Mm. Right. Right. So, so you can't say you he can't get that with a, a pure one being. Yeah, yeah. There's no other monotheistic religion that gets you to a God who can know love and intimacy and relationality for all time, even outside of time. So the Trinity lets you know that something like love, connection, and relationship is at the very essence of life, mm-hmm. of what it means to be alive. And as much as some people might want to be Christian islands out there not connected to anyone, usually as a result of being hurt in some way, you can't do it. Mm. You've got to be relationally connected. Right. It's, it's a feature of your image bearerness as you reflect the image of God who is at his most essential relational. Mm. That's so interesting, Josh. I think that... That even goes back to what we were talking about last week with God's self-sufficiency, that with a God who was truly just one and was not three in one, but just one God like the Muslims or or even like uh, the Jews, is that such a God cannot ultimately be perfectly self-sufficient because in order to experience that sort of relationship and love, he had to create Bound to create yeah. uh, creatures to have relationship with. And yeah. so then there's this sort of almost dependency that he needs us if he is going to have that kind of experience of yeah. love. And that absolutely just strikes at the heart of who the Christian God is. It strikes against the heart of who the Christian God is, is that he is... Uh, the most ultimate being, and he is the most ultimate lover because he is not just one and he is not dependent on us, mm. but within himself and the love between the three persons of the Trinity, he stands as perfectly self-sufficient and and perfect as an example to us for for what we need to uh, to be in relationship uh, yeah. with one another. And even here, this is one of those places where you got to check yourself and be careful. The the further you push into the relationship, the interrelationship between the tr- three, which is true, the further you can walk away from monotheism. Sure, sure. That there is one God, right. but there is more than one that is that one God. Yeah. Which again, it just goes back to the simplicity of the statement here. Mm. It's just right down the middle, very true and biblically accurate without pushing too far because the moment you begin to push too far, you're just wading into territory that's that's quite frankly scary. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. everything every time you say something positively, you're worried you're opening opening five doors to something <laughs> negative. You know? Right. So so I say that to say like even as I hear you talking about the relation, which is only <clears throat> really echoing what I was saying earlier, I'm like, ooh, I don't <laughs> I don't want people to think that we're moving towards a polytheism right, here. Right, exactly. uh, multiple. Go- no, there's only one. Yes. There is one God. 
But but he has three persons. Yeah, they begin in the unity of the That's Godhead. Right. There is yeah. unity here. Yeah. yeah. But there is also this, I mean, it blows our minds. That's right. It's diverse, mm-hmm. these three persons. Yeah. Um, I really like, going back to what you were talking about, the relational nature of this, and it's in the most familial bonds. I mean, yeah. that's really the, sort of the closest relationships we know are those, our, our immediate family, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's how God, I mean, you know, like you said, it could have been other ways, perhaps. Yeah. Cousin. I don't know. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. being silly, but yeah. you know, it's it's father and son and, and that's just a very intimate intimate way of revealing what he is like, who who God is. So that's yeah, right. That's if you, to think about. if you think of the two most intimate relationships that we know, which is parent, child, mm-hmm. and spouse. Right. Both of those point back to a person of the Godhead. Mm. Right? Parent, child with both first and second person. And with marriage, second person in the church, yeah, mm, right. That those so those yeah. most intimate relationships are meant to reveal something about God, not about us, right? Right. That's so good. Well, what's so interesting too, I think about you know, Josh, you brought out that the first person is the Father, the second person is the Son. Theoretically, he still could have revealed himself that way. That doesn't say anything about his relationship to us. It's right. just to say that the first person is the Father to the Son. But then for Scripture to go so far as to say that look what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, that Amen. we can mm. call on him as our Father, is just so uh, transformational, I think, as we think about yeah. these things. So is there ever a time in the counseling room, the Trinity, that this idea would even would, would really kind of come up? Is there a way that, hey, I need to remind you of this yeah. doctrine of the three-in-one God— can you think of an example of that? Yeah, I mean, usually as I think about the economic trinity mm-hmm. is is usually when something like this comes up so that people more and more know that God is active and on their side and what he's doing for them so that they know that the Holy Spirit is living and active in them. Right. The spirit that brings God's word to your mind, he testifies to you about God and his word. He comforts you. Right? He also admonishes you. Mm-hmm. He then helps to intercede for you with mm-hmm. groanings too deep too for deep. words mm-hmm. unto the Son who sits at the right hand of the Father who lives to do what? Intercede for you. Two-thirds of the Trinity are interceding for you. Mm-hmm. That's how much they love you. Wow. Right? Wow. And then the Father who isn't like, okay, gosh, I guess two of the three parts of yeah. me. I, I guess I'll listen. I, I guess I'll, you know, I'll do what they want. Yeah. Right, no. It, God so loved the world. Yes, Scripture. Yeah, yeah. Th- the Father so loved the world. Mm. His love emanated in this yeah. economy. So he is towards you for you always, mm. right? And someone that you can cry out to as Abba Father, not just King, though he is that, right? right? Not just God, though he is that, but as your Father. Right, and so that's usually when the Trinity will come in for me. Is is again more, much more economical, in the sense of like, look at all the activity that is for you in this mm. that you have access to. You don't, you don't even, your mind doesn't even think about. Right, right. You're, you're, you get sucked down into. Understandably, we all do just the day to day stuff. When the Creator of all things is so intent on you, He's doing all of this. Wow, right. So that's that's when it usually comes up yeah. in counseling for me yeah. as a measure of like comfort and power. What a great know? comfort too. Mm. Yeah. And I think we can misunderstand that too 
when we focus too closely on Christ's role as mediator, because then we imagine the Father possessing alone among the Trinity the wrath of God, that the Father is the wrathful one, and that Jesus has to stand in our place before the Father and intercede for us so that we can be saved and be right with the Father. Mm -hmm. But it was the Father's idea. It was the Father's love Mm -hmm. that sent Christ to live and to die and to rise again. Mm -hmm. And he who did not spare his own son, we will not uh, freely with him give us all things. Absolutely. It's just the Father who has sent his son and redeemed us and reconciled us. So encouraging. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the major points from Murray and his redemption accomplished and applied. Right. It's got the two major sections, and in that first section, one of the pieces he wants to hit is, and you think about this, this, first off, it was written as a Sunday school class for adults, and you've got seminarians reading it, trying to understand that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, super humbling. But even here it is, you know, 100 years ago, and what he's saying is, is where do people really struggle? And people struggle with the idea that you've got this angry father that must be appeased. Right. And that's not actually the economy of the Godhead. Mm, yeah. The economy of the Godhead is he loves you so much, he's willing to send his son, mm. right, in order that you might be his, you know? So love emanates from the Father as much as it does from Son willing to sacrifice and as much as it does from Holy Spirit willing to indwell you and never leave you. Mm. There are times when I want to leave myself. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I preach. Yeah, squires again, right? You just wake up and you're just like, Bleh, you know? And he loves you so much he doesn't ever leave you. Mm. You know, that's just amazing. Yeah. It's probably about a time to wrap up. Any final thoughts from you gentlemen on the Trinity here? No, no final thoughts. I really appreciate this time. And this has been helpful. Very comforting, this doctrine, I think, is... Uh, no surprise. I would like to say to our listeners out there, hey, we enjoy getting feedback from you guys. If anyone yes. is listening to this and you have questions or some comments, feel free to contact, email us, let us know. We we love, uh, hey, you sent in a question, maybe we'll talk about it here on the show one day. So That's right. There is an email address for this podcast. You can you can get 1A, the number one, the letter A, at org, and that will get to me. If you've got questions, comments, feedback yeah. of any kind, we'd love to hear we'd it. love to hear Absolutely. it. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, next time we'll be in chapter three, finally making that, you know, at this pace, we're going to get through this by 2030. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we'll move on to God's eternal decree. So looking forward to that. Thanks for being here with me.